Welcome. Come on in. I'll stick the kettle on whilst we enjoy this awesome chat with the one and only Anthony Cotton and Keegan Hurst. Sorry for the turnaround on this podcast. I recorded this exact intro about five times with two one-hour spells, but I recorded it wrong. And um, Dom got mad at me because the quality one was good. So hopefully this sounds well. Anyway... This was a podcast where me, Dom and Chris travelled across to the Red Rose County of Lancashire to have an evening with these guys. Anthony actually made a bit of a bit of a tea, bit of an evening meal, um, chicken salad. So it was salad just for the, the just salad for the vegans. Anthony Cotton was an actor best known for playing Sean Tully in Coronation Street. And Keegan Hurst is a Super League player for Wakefield Wildcats. Anthony and Keegan have known each other for about three years now. And the friendship actually came about when Keegan came out as the first ever openly gay rugby league player in 2015. We'll dive into this in the podcast itself, as well as chatting about what masculinity means as a man today. Anthony's work with the military and the homeless, which holds an incredible story towards the end of, of the podcast, which is really, really worth listening and Gandalf in Keegan's car. That doesn't make any sense in any sort of context, but it will become clear as we jump into this awesome chat. But just before we do that, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, why don't you head over to our Patreon page, type in Mentality Magazine, Patreon to Google, it will come up. And um, you can become part of the Mentality community. It's slowly growing. You can get access to Patreon-only content, exclusive Mentality t-shirts, and a lot more rewards and stuff to be announced soon but basically the nuts and bolts of it is get on the groove of us and support us and if you enjoy enjoy what we do become closer we're always trying to grow our friendship group and to keep pushing to each other to level up and that's kind of what the community will become about and we're hoping to do a club as well if we get enough people that want to want to smash it but with this i'm going to give andy mullins a shout out this guy is living over in ireland He's not a rugby league fan, I think he's more of a rugby union fan, but he's supporting us. He's the first ever patron to, to pay money to support Mentality each month for, for what we're doing at the minute. And mate, we have massive gratitude for your generosity. We really, really do appreciate it. You're an absolute legend. And um, I can't wait to continue to, to get to know you better and continue with this, with this mission, pal. You're a legend. Without further ado, let's jump into this chat. Sound. Let's Sound. kick off then. Let's, Let's kick, kick off. off. Let's do it. Um, I reckon we will start the pod, guys. Keegan and Anthony, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Shall I go first? Yeah. Why don't you, I'll, How long I'll tell them about you and yeah, yeah, do, do that. that way. Yeah. Do that. So I met Keegan about three and a half years ago when Keegan came out and was the first out. Not Super League at the time, rugby league player at the time, and I saw that he's online. I saw him on, on um, there was an online presence there, and lots of people sending messages of support, etc. And then other people sending other things. So um, I was aware that pe- that um, people were kind of making contact with him, and I was sat on this very sofa, yep. and I sent him a message of support, and then he f- and followed me back. So, uh, we, so we then messaged, not publicly, and I just said, if you need any help or any guidance or whatever, I'm sure you've got lots of people offering you that. But if you need anything, then um, let me know. And we just started speaking from then, 
And then it became uh, three and a half years later. I'm still here. He's still here. <laughs> um, Keegan moved in here for a while whilst he was doing his house up and we became the best of friends. And on occasion, literally a couple of occasions, the worst of enemies. Wow. And in what way? Why, why worst of enemies? <laughs> um, because, because people might... I suppose what you see of Anthony on TV, people assume that he might be like Sean in real life and a bit. Be careful, Keegan. Um, a nice fella. Yeah, but a bit of a pushover and a bit um, that he wouldn't say anything. And, you know, people draw conclusions and Anthony's very forthright and he'll speak his mind. He won't put his foot about if he's got something to say. He'll, he'll say it. And um, even if it's contrary to you know, what everyone else is kind of saying, he doesn't mind going against the grain. And obviously sometimes two quite outspoken people end up not... We fought that cat and dog, is yeah. what I'm saying. When yeah. we agree, we really agree. And yeah. when we don't... Although, you know, we've had... We've sat and talked about all manner of stuff and had really, you know, deep and interesting conversations about things that I suppose I'd never spoken about with people coming from a council estate and da 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 And... Yeah, Anthony was the first person who I kind of sat and had, I suppose, really meaningful conversations where you sit and you talk about why people think a certain way. And, yeah. and, and One of the earliest of conversations me and Keegan ever had, literally like day one, we ended up talking about Greek mythology. Wow. And wow. Th th I'm not just saying this to suit this uh, particular long form podcast. <laughs> um, I, it was about, I steered a conversation. I'm bearing in mind, I didn't know Keegan from Adam really. This was on the, like our first telephone call conversation. We, and we had this conversation about Greek mythology because Keegan's very interested in that. My thing, I, I like Greek mythology. I also like, uh, when I was a lot younger, I once drew a life-size um, life Roman centurion. Uh, my thing was Romans and the Egyptians, but we had this mutual... We, we liked history kind of thing. Sort of interest in history. history. Yeah, yeah. And I then steered the conversation in... Uh, the direction of what it is to be a man and that came off the back of what Keegan's just saying there people have preconceived ideas of what kind of man I am I have my own uh, I suppose preconceptions about what kind of men some other people are and um, it's a and, natural thing and a lot of the time you're wrong and a lot of the time you don't go you don't trust your own instincts and you believe what other people are are mm. saying about somebody for example so and me and Keegan are literally chalk and cheese in many ways to the, I suppose, to people that don't know us. But, and he may be in the body of a six foot five, 18 stone rugby player. And 17. I'm in, 17 stone rugby player. <laughs> and I'm in the body of a 18 year old lithe hairdresser. Um, but we are very, very similar. That's yeah. why we argue. And it's only very, very occasionally, but when we argue, it like goes off like a Thrupney banger. And it would be a good but, spectator spot, I would imagine. What, me and you? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> we do argue, and so uh, joking aside, when we do argue, we, we argue we, we argue big. Yeah. Um, but it's never meaningless stuff. It's never about a pair of shoes or about, uh, you know, what you, where you're going for, you know. It's like about morals or ethics. Yeah, it's always or about morals it's something and ethics. Deep and, and, yeah, and, it, and, and I am like a bulldog. And in a strange way, to the, to the un- 
educated eye, as far as mine and Keegan's friendship is concerned, you would always imagine that Keegan was the loudest voice, the physical power presence. And actually, I'm I'm like... I'm a bit of a bulldog. And yeah. I, that's one of my faults. I, I hold my hands up. It's always me that apologises, yeah. by the way. Always me that apologises. <laughs> well, it's, that, it's interesting Keegan said that because like the preconceptions for what Sean would be on Coronation Street yeah. is as what I imagine different to, to what you are. But yeah. you've been on Coronation Street since 2003, is it? Very good research there. 15 years? Very good research. 15 years in I mind, sta- yeah. yeah, I started in fif- uh, 15 years ago. I did one like tiny stint to get me in yeah. and then I started full-time a little bit after that. But it started in, this part of my life started in 2003. Yeah, so it's, it's I look a lot at um, stuff what Jordan Peterson says and obviously you've had a successful career in soaps and stuff and one of the things he mentions is um, how agreeable people are. Um, mm. So that's like, well, Keegan mentioned that there being a pushover and stuff. You obviously can't be a pushover to have got to the position you are. Um, but I guess that comes back to the idea of, you know, what it is to be a man. You know, yeah. there's, there's, there's different different ideas there and all kind of a board of, of, of different things there, whether it's, um, you know, what job you've got, you know, what your interests are, what sexuality you are. It, it kind of brings off a lot of different branches from that, doesn't it? Mm, I, I think that, like I was saying that one of the ver- first conversations we had was about what, what uh, I steered the conversation into that subject of what it is to be a man, meaning what people's perceptions are of different men, of what people's perceptions are of how different men should be organised into different groups. This is what, how we, you know, you as an individual see people. Oh, well, that's a rugby player, so that person should be like this. Oh, that's a, an actor, so that person should be like this. Oh, that person's a barman, that person's, a, mm. you know, uh, works in logistics, whatever. That's a scientist. We have all these ideas of what people should be. And actually, when somebody does a certain job for a living whether that's somebody that works in tesco behind a till or whether that's a you know a neuroscientist we all have our cons our, uh, uh, um, an idea of what kind of person that is and a lot mm. of the time it's because of their job what they do how they're presenting to you at that moment in time when you're lay in a hospital and a doctor comes to treat you, you have a you have a, a your own preconceived ideas of what kind of person that is and of course that person behind closed doors at home with a wife or a husband or you know family or no kids or whatever behind their closed doors in their home they've uh, uh, they can be a complete they could be exactly the same as you know it does what yeah. it says on the tin yeah. but a lot of the time you find they're completely different people and so that's where me and keegan to anybody looking in would probably have people think that i spend my life literally can canning in a tutu <laughs> up and down canal street every night of the week because yeah. That's what they think Sean does. So therefore, that's what I do. And of, of course, that isn't what I do. And people think that Keegan, you know, spent, lives his life via rugby, by, via, you know, they think he comes home every day and does the hacker in the front room, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> that's what rugby players do. And of course, he's the one in the tutu, can canning up and down the street, and I'm the one doing the hacker, yeah, yeah. being aggressive. Cool. And I yeah. think all that, what you've just said about preconceived ideas. And- it's a load of nonsense. No, it's because people like to, it's very easy for people to dehumanise other people and mm. put people in a box, stick yeah. a label on it. And that's what that is. And everything's nice and neat and orderly. And that's what I think. So I can just park that there and I don't have to think about it. Because really, in the grand scheme of things, how often are people thinking about how 
what other people are you don't unless you actually come across mm. them and they have a direct impact on your life and um and I, I suppose that was something i learned with the coming out and stuff is that people don't actually give a shit about other people unless it directly affects mm. their life and when someone's on your tv in your living room they are a topic of conversation in that moment and you go oh well i bet they're this and then that's it and they're gone but they've put them in the nice neat little box very interesting point actually people don't give it generally don't give a shit about you as in that literally that they don't care about you but my god they have an opinion on you mm. yeah. and that's what modern day especially life nowadays is. it's encouraged so much more. yes social media and all that um, you know phones the fact that you you know you have access to people and you can send somebody a message look at me and keegan yeah, social yeah. media i the the facility was there i was able to send a message and he was able to respond that's a beautiful thing but at the same the same service that's available it also acts that gives you access to tell people what you think of them that are total strangers that you don't give a shit about but you want to tell them what you what you think mm. of them the, and, the thing, and there's a lot of that that goes on the thing with lot. social media and opinions as well is and opinions are like what, Keegan? Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one and they usually stink. Um, That's no, a real beautiful point. Real <laughs> beautiful nice point. Metaphor. Um, no, the thing with social media and opinions and what people think about social media, I think, is that I'm entitled to an opinion, which you are. Everybody is entitled to opinion, mm. free, freedom of speech, all that. Yeah, power to you. But what right you don't have is that people demand that you listen to their opinion and give it the time of day and argue and da, 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 da. And really no one cares about the majority of people's opinions. We care about politicians opinions. We care about certain people's opinions because they have a voice and a certain, you know, notoriety. But the, I think that with social media and stuff, the, the ability to share your voice does not necessarily come with the right to, be heard and responded to and people then get a bit antsy when you go I said this and you didn't respond and you, you should listen to what I, you should listen when I'm giving you shit about how your performance on Coronation Street or as a player you, you know I've I'm taking my time to give you shit so you should respond like, that, yeah. that's a really good example of that that's, ju that's just happened to me and I'm not going to name anybody because I can't remember but I put something on a on Insta, I think it was. One of them anyway. And it was a thing about Stormzy. Stormzy was on <clears throat> Jonathan Ross and was talking about how he'd set up this programme yeah, and was putting for, people through. For black kids yeah. to go to university. So basically about, you know, where he's come from and he's giving back. And he's basically going to put two people through Cambridge or Oxford, I think was specified. And I put, I wasn't asking anybody's opinion. I was just saying, what a dude Stormzy is. To use his power, his voice, his money, his wherewithal, his access. And two kids that would have had no opportunity are now going to be put every year through um, university education. And I simply said, what a dude Stormzy is. And somebody replied straight away within seconds. Yeah, but I wish he'd respond to his fans on here because... So I replied, yeah. I just, I, it made, wound me up. It was literally about me, 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 me. Not, yeah, that's amazing, which most people said. Somebody felt the need to say, yeah, but you should respond to his fans because I've said blah, blah, blah. And I just replied back, maybe he was just busy putting people through university education. Maybe that's mm. why he's not responded to you. But people are obsessed with having, you know, and that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. You, you can't, you know. 
the rough with the smooth. Yeah, the rough yeah. with the smooth. Yeah. And, and people that haven't had voices historically over the years have now got a platform. And you know what? The world is full of good people. You throw a stick down any street in this country and you'll hit 20 really good people. But what you are force fed is that everybody's bad and it's utter bollocks. The majority of people are brilliant, wonderful, will help you. We'll lend you, you know, 5p if you're 5p short in the shop. We'll give you a lift if you need it. We'll let you share a cab home. We'll put you into a cab because you're a little bit worse for wear. The majority of people are really, really nice and, and are, you know, are good people. We're force fed this rhetoric that people are bad. And well, it's the vocal minority, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's stupid people. Mm. That's what that is. Stupid people. (laughs) That's from absolutely fabulous. Just tax the stupid people. Which obviously I don't um, endorse. <laughs> That's just a line from a sitcom. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean, though. It's uh, we are force-fed this rhetoric that everybody, and you know, and we're force-fed this rhetoric that men are bad. You know that. Um, you know, it's this whole thing. You know, that we've now got all the trans lives matter movement because people have spent so many years oppressed and and not listened to. And now finally we've got a voice and they've got a voice and which is, a, is only a good thing. And that's brilliant. But then the flip side of that is everybody else comes out of the woodwork and starts to talk about their opinion. You know, at the end of the day, yeah. just people let people Things like that though are really difficult to talk about because if you say anything that is controversial or not, not, not even controversial. Please don't say anything controversial on this. <laughs> if you, you long-form podcast. If you say anything that is not going along with, and I'm not saying that you can... Can I just out. say, I feel a little bit like Elton John in that advert currently. You know the new advert? Yeah. Where he's got these microphones just shoved in his head. I feel a little bit like that. <laughs> you same hair. That's Tom, right? Yeah. Is that John Lewis? Evil, one? evil yeah. man. John Lewis. I just saw John, uh, John Lewis. The John Lewis advert. Yeah, yeah. There's an actual John Lewis on Twitter and he's at John Lewis. It's an American guy, he's a computer scientist and he keeps on to reply to people, I'm, I'm not, not a department John Lewis store. the shop. Oh, excellent. There you go, some ammo, do not Yeah. Reef's um, It's tough. Yeah. There's an Anthony Cotton that just gets mithed to death. <laughs> Again, he's in America oh, um, and he just spends all day saying, I'm not Anthony Cotton. He includes me in the messages. I think he's got bored of that now. Um, sorry, you were going on. I've forgotten. I must have been like, right. ah, I see. No, you were, I was you saying, saying good if, trick. Yeah. Oh, and she got the voice back. If you're going against the status <laughs> yeah, quo, yeah. If you go against something. the status quo, so we talking whether and whatever it is, you know, Black Lives Matter, trans lives, all these kind of things that are obviously really important and delicate issues. If you come out not necessarily against something, but you just ask, why is that? What's this? then people are up in arms because they're saying you're anti-trans, you're racist, you're homophobic, you whatever you are, which isn't necessarily the case. In the, I would imagine in the majority of it, it's not the case. People mm. are just uneducated and want to be educated or are asking a question. And people you should know you're, you're anti against what we're talking about, so you're a bad guy. And it's just like really broad strokes. And it's the art of conversation has been is being shut down because if you say anything that we don't want to hear then we go no racist no homophobic no anti-trans and the majority of it is just i'm i don't know about it so educate me i didn't breathe through that whole speech then just is it finished now is that controversial no no you did very well i was just (laughs) conscious a lot more succinct than any of your answers either 
Oh, thanks, babe. <laughs> They're arguing on here. Um, it's going to kick off. Uh, um, ooh, now that'd be something to listen to. <laughs> yeah, you record what? that, don't happen. Get in here! <laughs> That's yeah. normally how it starts. So, Keegan, um, when um, you just talked about going against the status quo and stuff, and um, we were mentioning on the, on the way over, um, Chris looking at an interview, I think, um, and one of the quotes was, um, you might have to help me out with this, Chris, but it was something like, do your authentic self. Yeah, because... I I was, yeah, I saw an interview where you were saying, if you're not your authentic self, it kind of affected your performance. Mm. And then as soon as you kind of were, were true to yourself, your performances at Batley went through the roof. Um, you got a Super League contract. Um, and we both sort of thought that kind of resonated mm. quite a lot, that as mm. soon as you're kind of actually in touch with who you as are... As soon as he met me, you mean? Well, you <laughs> no, could also have said... Just putting it out there. Yeah. It's the same well, time. Correlation is not necessarily there causation. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the... the I kind of nicked the authentic self-line off from Stonewall, I think, but I think the, the premise of it is... And it was never like a conscious thing where you go, all right, now everyone knows I'm gay, so I can just play really well. Mm. It's just, I suppose, if you think of it in a really basic term, if you try to change a light bulb and cook spaghetti at the same time, then you're going to not do either one to the best of your ability. Yeah. That was mm. a lovely, lovely action. You know that, <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was like a Bollywood, was I'm doing Bollywood, I'm doing Bollywood action. Yeah. Um, and this is spaghetti. Um, because you're not concentrating on the job that you're actually doing. It's like anything. If you spread yourself too thin, you don't, Oof, steady you, you don't do anything as good as, you, as you, good as you could do. So I think it was just a case of, right, and now I don't have to, subconsciously, and now I don't have to worry about that. Also, I think give that something you full attention. Something yeah. that you that also comes hand in hand with that is support. Mm. And so many, so many people in the world, no matter what you're doing, no matter what walk of life you come from, um, struggle with certain aspects of life uh, because they're not supported. And obviously, this this goes to men, women, and the world in between. But men particularly struggle as we know, um, uh, in certain areas of mental health, far more than women. And it's purely and simply because women are encouraged to, in, in days of your times gone by, a generation below ours, you know, obviously we're all the same age, Stevie. Um, um, generations, you know, in our lifetime, but that seem a long time ago, it, you just didn't discuss things if you were a man. And if you were a woman, that's all you did was discuss your feelings, etc. And of course, as time's gone on and we've moved into a more modern age now in 2018, there's lots of things that are geared up to talk about your mental health, you know, mentality, etc. Um, and I think with Keegan, what Keegan didn't have was because, partly was partly because he didn't, he hadn't become his, in inverted commas, authentic self. And then he came out and there was a weight lifted. But then what he got beyond that going into the future was support. And Mm. I suppose, you know, all his rugby mates who have in turn become my friends as well, they were all there and they've been a constant and they've not faltered. But what what me and mine and Keegan's friendship brought, and I mean this both ways, I, I can't remember a time that I wasn't friends with Keegan. I can't remember a time where I was able to cope without being friends with Keegan because Keegan's given me as much as I've given him. Mm. Although it appears that it's one way, it's actually not. It's very much a two-way thing. And what Keegan then had on top of the weight being lifted, et cetera, is a support mechanism. And I think what a lot of young men 
struggle with is they think that there isn't a support mechanism for that. And as you know, the moment you come out and say, I am somebody that's suffering with a mental health issue, mm. whatever yeah. that is, whether that's to do with work or your life at home, you know, partners, kids, whatever, the moment you start to talk about it, then you find the support starts to come out that's yeah. already there. You didn't know it existed because you've not asked for it. And I think part of Keegan's, uh, you know, part of playing better, better relationship with the kids, better, you know, um, a better version of himself. And that's nothing to do with the, with coming out. It's actually just about you as a person was because where he probably thought previously there wasn't going to be any support, the mm. terror of coming out. Yeah. I had like mm. a, I, you know, I've got a very fractured family. I don't see much of my family mm. I speak to my sister. Um, so it was never like the family, you know, you take it as a given that people have a family mm. to kind of fall back on. And um, obviously I had two kids to support and things like that. And I had the, and I always say, you know, if I ever do talks or anything, obviously telling my wife was quite difficult, but telling the lads was really tough because they were, they were my support network, I guess. And I thought if this goes tits up, then, and I suppose once all that was there, it, so yeah I suppose I've never thought about it like that it wasn't just the I'm gay now everybody knows about it it was everyone's still here and I'm alright and I've not lost anything and yeah. I'm, I'm all and, good and it sounds like you gained quite a lot as well right? yeah I like, mean Anthony and Peter were Peter Anthony's boyfriend were current boyfriend <laughs> were um, I've, been, I've been I've been the family that I don't have I guess mm. um, Anthony's been a, a big brother a a father figure at points <laughs> but Thanks predominantly, so much predominantly a big brother Peter you know things that I might you know when you have a setup, you go to you might go to your dad for yeah, yeah, talk yeah. about a certain thing you go to your mum you might go to an auntie you might go to a certain friend for and I suppose with auntie and Peter I got a lot of that all and I would speak to them about different things that I'd not necessarily been able to speak to other people about and and in turn, everything just gets better and a little bit easier and, you know, playing, like Anthony said, my relationship with my kids, with my friends, with my sister, with myself, I guess, all got all got better because... It improved, your life yeah, improved. Yeah, it got substantially better, yeah. Keegan, me and Keegan became friends at a time where I was geared up, I suppose. I was better equipped to... to help and to support and lift up when needed etc because of my stuff that I do with the army and the military but specifically the army so I'd I've spoken to thousands of 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 young lads that are struggling in various with various things um whether that's a physical injury that you can see or a hidden wound um with mental health issues and PTSD I've learned so much so that by the time Keegan came into my life I was already hitting the ground running on all that yeah. stuff. And and I've the the work that I do with the military has been so life-changing for me. Like like the most life-changing uh thing that's ever happened to me. Forget career and jobs and meeting certain people and all that malarkey, which is all frippery. It's all lovely, but it's you know, it's it's mm. a folly. The real stuff that I'm most proud of and the the stuff that I get that gives me the most satisfaction has been all the stuff that's I've been able to help with, I suppose, and be part of an extended family um, with the military, specifically the army, because mm. I've met and heard the most jaw-dropping stories yeah. about mental health. 
And what I've, what that gave me and I've been able to pass on, me and Keegan have this thing. Ian McKellen once told me many, many years ago about passing the baton on. Pass the baton on. That's all we have to do is just pass the baton on. So I passed the baton on to Keegan and in turn he's been able to do the same. And that's all I do with the army, with the, with the, um, with the men and women of the armed forces that I've been doing it is the mental health stuff is I'm so kind of far into that now that I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't have it. And one of the first things I say to anybody, man, woman, young or old, one of the first things I sit down with anybody in any military camp, in in recovery center, wherever is everybody has mental health issues. And if you meet somebody that looks you in the eye and says, I do not have a mental health issue, run for the hills because those are the people that have got bodies buried behind the walls. Mm. Everybody has mental health issues to a certain degree. The only difference is people that can cope with them better than others. Mm. So much so that people can cope with them so fine that they never need to discuss them because they're coping with them through whatever means. And then you meet people that are literally sat in a corner and can't look anybody in the eye yeah. and they, they can't speak because they're, they're suffering so bad from mental health issues. I know several people that have, have taken a very permanent solution to a, to what should have been a temporary problem. Mm. And, um, and it's on that terms, you know, it's not, certainly in the military, it's, it seems to be a, yeah. a bit of a, uh, epidemic currently. Um, mm. So uh, the, the meeting Keegan was the final piece in my jigsaw, I suppose. Mm. I'd, I'd never known that I needed it, but I needed Keegan in my life. And it just happened in the most kind of natural, it was literally by chance. It, it you know, it fell into both of our laps. And now in hindsight, I'm saying all this through gritted teeth, listener. I hope you realise that. In, <laughs> I'm not. In my life, I now realise that Keegan was the missing jigsaw piece that I didn't know was missing until mm. it until it came. And and um, and, and I, it was it was a it was a really surreal time for me. Certainly. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. Um, because I told friends and family and things and. Um, over what sort of period is this? Like a period of a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple or? of mo- months. I guess I told my family and the lads May June, two thousand fifteen. Can Can you remember like the moments before? Like, did you get old boys? I'm just trying to think about what happened. Yeah, like, yeah. Changing, we'd gone like, for a beer after a game. Lads, 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 lads. Um, <laughs> I soon knocked the beer out of him. He didn't drink that no more. <laughs> I can get too old to drink beer. It goes straight to my belly. Um, <laughs> Gone for a few beers after the game. He's currently drinking a pint, <laughs> a pint of pale chartreuse with a grand de Montfed. <laughs> and it's got a sparkler, it sparkler in it. Um, <laughs> um, gone for a gone for a beer and obviously a, a few in. And what, I can't remember something came up and one of the lads said, "So what is it, Keegan? About these rumours? Is it true?" I obviously knew what I was talking about. I obviously know what he was talking about. So mom? there was like an inner dialogue where you go, do you just fucking tell him? Yeah. Sorry, Swan. Do you just tell him or do you just kind of... Was it about your jeans from Next? Was it about them jeans? Yeah. <laughs> Did you say, I'm oh, really were they sorry? asking me about my wardrobe? He had bootcut jeans when I met him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did have bootcut jeans. Oh, dear. Um, what did I say to you? You need to get your hair cut at least once every two weeks, but once a week if you can, and you need to get those jeans off. I was the bootcut jeans were very much like my tattoos, me trying to be straight. Um, yeah, they said, "What is it about these rumors?" And it was kind of a 
am I going, am I going to say yeah or am I going to deny, deny, deny? So it was put upon you rather than... Yeah, it was kind of put upon, yeah. But I was, I'd moved out. I'd split up with the the ex-wife at the time. Um, I'd moved out. I was on my own. So there was, I would have, I was thinking about doing it Mm. um, because I had met someone. So like at some point I was going to do it. Um, but they kind of, and I just went, yeah. Um, and then I thought I need to Who go. was it asked, who asked the question? Can you remember? I think it was Chandler. Was it? Yeah. Chandler said that he always knew that I was gay anyway. Right. Um, so what, what was his reaction and, and the, the lads? The lads, the lads, we were, I'll lads tell you where we were. All, they upended the table. <laughs> I'll tell you where we were. <laughs> we weren't at the bar. The, the bar had closed and we'd gone back to my house. That was, so there was, there was, Chandler there. Was that the one in? Uh, Batley, uh, yeah, Priestley's. Yeah. Alex Rowe was there and uh, like Alex Brown. And um, Chandler asked me and I said, and Chandler was like, well, he, he knew. <laughs> he said he'd always known. So he was kind of, Rowe, um, was, for people who don't know him, he's a huge man, big hard bastard from London, Lewisham, like had a tough upbringing and like, you know, had a couple of runnings, can handle himself. One of my best friends. <laughs> couple of run-ins. Couple of run-ins. Is that run-ins. what we call it now? I'm going to call, 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 call it a couple of run-ins. Um, and Roy started crying. And I was like, mate, you all right? Wow. Are you offended? <laughs> and he, he was like, I'm really sorry. All so-. about he Rowan. said, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you've had to go through this on your own. And um, it must wow. have been really hard for you. And da, 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 da. No, Alex Brown said, well, I know someone who's gay. And, da, 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 and he kind of tried to make it about him. And John was like, fuck <laughs> So everyone was just normal. Um, yeah, so every, yeah, everyone was fine. And they were like, oh, so what do we do if anyone asks at rugby? Or and I was like, well, it's not a secret. Um, so it, it just kind of filtered out like that. Yeah. And then obviously I told, I went down and told Sarah and then, it kind of got mentioned in the changing room, so it was spoken about briefly, but everyone kind of already knew. And then I think there was a team night out. Mm. And I must have told about 10 different people the same story. So, And then it was just out there, and that was it as far as I was concerned. Um, Had you catastrophized that moment? Did you think, when I told the lads, yeah, it's all going to go? Yeah, I think... <sighs> I think previously I had done, I thought that, that this, you know, my career will be over and that'll be it. But then as I'd left, <clears throat> I was captain, I was playing well. I knew that if I suddenly disappeared off the team sheet, it'd be a bit sus. Mm. Um, so I was in a position where I knew I, was, I had like something behind me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There you go. Something, not someone. Um, so it was, I knew I was going to be all right because I, I was, I'd set myself up in a yeah yeah <laughs> everything sounds like <laughs> it worked on now um, yeah so I knew I was going to be alright um, where was that <laughs> this is descended into <laughs> a know, this, this is descended this into a carry on a long form podcast in itself well you just you just told the team and you thought that was that yeah basically. so I thought that was that that was going to be really like detrimental to my career and and then I knew it was going to be what okay. you actually realise is so what yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, so what? Yeah. I, it, off, off, always the fear of doing the thing is worse yeah. than doing the thing yeah, itself. Yeah. With, any, with anything, whether it's coming out of town, someone who's smashed the vase or whatever it is. Yeah. It, um, and then I got, uh, I had to, I told JK, who was a coach, and obviously everyone knows who JK is, any rugby fan does anyway. But, uh, you know, for those who don't, he's like a 60-odd-year-old guy, been in rugby for 40-odd years, used to be a player. 
Very um, nice man. Really nice man. Like smart man. Right. We I just I'd sit and talk about all kinds of stuff with him. And I was a bit worried because even though I knew I was gonna be all, I couldn't suddenly disappear off the team. He did he did still pick the team and I didn't know. Um and I told him and he said, um, in his very thick Barnsley accent, he said, It don't matter to me, old cock. He says, uh, you're a rugby league player and you're my captain and anything else doesn't matter. And kind of after that, I thought, do you know what? Going to be all right. Mm. And then he, he, JK rung me a few days later and said, uh, the press know about it. Because obviously the rugby league players can't hold their own pace. This is John Keir, isn't it? Just for listening. Yeah, John Keir, yes. So he, he said that um, the press have got hold of it. So he'd gone through rugby league um, and... He just said they're going to run a story on it. So I got in touch with them because I thought if they're going to run a story, I'd rather it be right. And yeah, on your me terms. Have, yeah, yeah, me yeah, have yeah. some kind of input. So I spoke to them and and then that was that. And then it, I didn't, you know, I, was, I wasn't even a Super League player. I was, you know, captain of a championship team. So I didn't think it was going to be anything. And then it just kind of blew up and obviously loads of people got in touch um Anthony being the highlight obviously but you know like lots of I had a phone call from Elton John which is was quite wow. surreal um and he kind of kept in touch and at that point Keegan the Wallflower disappeared and the birth of Keegan the Showgirl <laughs> yeah <laughs> Showgirl yeah um as, yeah, so so it was surreal. When I met him, and I was like, "How did anybody not know you were gay?" Yeah, and he was like, "What do you mean?" And I said, <laughs> "It's shining out of you, gay, 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 gay." <sighs> like if I'm if I'd met him, I would have absolutely known he was gay without doubt. Really shining out of him. Oh. Yeah, there is a there is a thing, and I said this. We went on. I was on Old Aunt and Pete a few weeks ago, and there is a set when you can. I couldn't tell. Like my gaydar was not a thing. <laughs> And I was like, is he gay? Well, you mean the guy who's trying to neck on with you? Yeah. Um, I, like I was, but there is, people carry themselves a certain way and it's, and when you know what you're looking for, it's really easy to spot them. <laughs> when you know what you're looking for? Wowzers. Well, geez, it just becomes really apparent. Yeah. Um, I did it all in the eyes. Shifted the eyes. Just a little thing, yeah. Even the ones that you don't imagine in a million years are going to be, you know, they're walking down the street with their wife and their kids and then there's a little thing with their eyes and you go, mm, yeah, there you go. Uh, I would have absolutely known he was I'm going. I'm learning, yeah. Yeah, well, so... I don't, the, I don't the, learn too much. The, I mean, the, the, the surreal, <laughs> the, the most surreal moment was I met, when I met, I'd spoken to Anthony for a, a week or so and he said, why don't you, it was Manchester Pride that weekend and he said, why don't you come over for dinner, uh, Ian McKellen's, who he's like been mates with for years and years. He's up, obviously, I was like, yeah, Gandalf, Magneto. <laughs> yeah. um, so I came and I had dinner with them, lovely, really nice, met Peter. And they'd all been drinking and I'd driven over from from Leeds and they were going to get a taxi back. a small back. sherry, perhaps too. <laughs> a lady's sherry. Um, and I said, I'll give you a lift back if you like. And oh yeah, they were all like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. So I had... McKellen in the front, Sean from Corrie in the back, <laughs> and, and Peter and uh, their friend Joe was in the back. And at the time, Ian had been filming Beauty and the Beast, mm -hmm. and they were all singing Beauty and the Beast songs. And I was, and I remember at one point it kind of there was a lull in song, and, um, which all came because McKellen didn't have a song. Yeah. That's why all that. So McKellen made up his own song. 
Because he played and Cogsworth I, and he was so going, my name is Cogsworth. What, what, what went through your head then? Yeah, there was, was like, I was kind of just, yeah, this is really normal. So this, this is, is normal really life normal. to me. I don't even think yeah. of this as a This is really story. normal. And then there was like a lull and I was just like, Gandalf is in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Making up his own song. Like, this is not normal. I had Elton John on the phone yesterday. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? So it was really, it was a far cry from, you know, living on a council estate and playing part-time rugby league. Yeah. Um, and then the rest. As and the then once we became friends, because I'm quite, um, uh, well, I used to be, I'm not now. Keegan's been a bit like my, um, I suppose, not, a, I, I'm trying to think of a word. If I said prostitute, that say, sounds like. Project. Like a project. I don't mean it in that way, because that's kind of basic. But as in uh, something to focus on, and he's been he's been Keegan like was a, a bit mentor. Unfocused. He he's was been a bit, bit unfocused. He's been, you've been a mentor. You can say that. Uh, well, no, it's a bit weird if I say that. But are you, yeah, he, okay, I can say it. He was a bit of unfocused. The job in hand had been done. He needs to come out. Right, great. Bish bash bosh. There's a million gay people in the world. Don't matter. You're no different to anybody else. It's all fine. But there was a bit of unfocus, like, so what do you want to do? Well, I don't like my job because obviously he played part-time, he had a full-time job. I don't like that. So change it. Well, no, it's not. And Keegan did that classic thing where you go, well, it's easy for you to say. It's not. I'm like, you bitch, you don't even know. The, <laughs> you don't know what it takes. Right, okay. So if you, what do you want? What do you want? And he would, Keegan was kind of a bit shy. But this is where me and Keegan are very, very similar. Keegan does not like failure. So it was really difficult for Keegan to actually say the words, probably as difficult as saying I'm a big old gayer, was I want to play Super League because if you don't do it and you've said it, it means you've failed, automatically you've mm. failed. I said it to another human being that I, was, that was an ambition and I've not done it, so therefore I've failed. Down the line, somebody would be able to use that against him. He always thinks I'm going to yeah. use things against him. You'll <laughs> use that against me. So you, didn't, you couldn't even say it because then he... So I just kept saying to him, so what are you trying to focus him? What do you want to do? And eventually he went, well, I think I'd like to uh, play... I would like to try, maybe, possibly, let's think, but what is it? I'd like to play Super League. Right, well, we'll go and do it then. We'll go, we'll, we'll sort that out. Yeah, well, it's not as easy. I'm like, fuck that. Because we'll I'd kind of work. flirted with it. That's like, not like you, Keegan. <laughs> no. <laughs> it'd been flirted with, it'd been tossed up, but uh, again, carry on, Phil. Um, it just never come to pass. Because yeah, you never said it out loud. You never put it out the, as an ambition. the family and, you know, you've got to make it work and all that kind of stuff. You just say it. You and just I was say 20, it out loud. I was 27. I thought it's, that's kind of passed you by. Mm. So so I was, um, I'd kind of made peace with it. And then I was Even like, though it had never even been put out there into the ether per se. You'd never so what, said so it. So what happened then for like, for this new focus that you had, how did you put into... <laughs> Do you want to know the real story? Into, <laughs> what was the real story? Well, part of the real story. Because like you said, it had been flirted about. Everybody's spoken about. People say, oh yeah, um, steady on, see. Um, He's <laughs> uh, just removing this first layer of clothing. Um, um, it, it, so it had been flirted about, you know, huh? a bit, but it, it never because he'd been proactive in it. He'd just been privy to, oh, such a body was asking about blah. You know, maybe a Super League team had asked once. So I was like, and this is the God's honest truth. We were in the middle of a conversation and he said, so well, it's easy, it's easy for you to say that. It just doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. And I said, well, I know Marwan, who owns Salford. I'm going to ring him. Yeah. So I rang him. There and then, I did. <laughs> I literally rang him and said, uh, "My mate is Keegan Hurst, um, and he uh, and he he needs to be playing Super League." So I've always said this to uh, to 
anybody that I'm that I've been talking about mental health stuff with don't ever don't first of all don't ask permission if you want something just go for it just go for it yeah. relentlessly go for it mm. and once you get to the counter you don't say you don't ask somebody if they want to buy the car you say do you want the car in red or black mm. meaning you are leaving here with the car yeah so I'd always said to him if you want it you've got to go for it well I'm going to ring him and I'm going to I'm going to ring I'm going to ring him now and I rang him and I said he needs to play Super League what are we going to do about that and he said, well, I'll speak to the coach. And then he spoke to the coach. And then once you go and meet one Super League coach, it's the world where nobody, as Keegan always says, they can't hold their own piss. So then another coach found out and then another coach found out and then another coach found out. And then before you know it, there's lots of coaches, not in championship, but in Super League, they were trying to get hold of Keegan. Mm -hmm. And the perception is reality. And then it actually came about. We had a good season with Batley. Yeah. We got into you the middle eights. You always eights. played well. You were, yeah, we you were playing into, well. We had a good season. We got into the middle eights. And then I'm Jim, not in any way suggesting that it wasn't because you weren't playing well. No, no, I'm I mean, I mean Batley had a good season. We did well as a team. JK went to Wakefield and unfortunately it's not what you know, it's who you know. And and then that, that happened that way. There was interest from other clubs, but... But well, you think that happened because you set that intention as well, though? Well, do you know what? I read, you've read The Secret. I've read the first quarter of it. I, I hate The Secret. I think <laughs> it's so a lot. I hate it. I hate it. There's some, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll let you finish. But, yeah. but when I said to Ant, I'm going to play, you know, I'm, I'm playing, I, I remember saying I'm playing, the season started, we were, we were doing well as a team. I was playing really well. And I said, yeah, I'm going to get picked up this year. I'm going to go play Super League and that's going to be that. And I hated my job. I was a man, uh, at the time I was a operations manager at a factory, basically. And I said, I'm fed up of it. I didn't like the setup. I didn't like how it was going. And and I said to Ant, I'm gonna I'm gonna jack it in because I'm com I'm gonna get signed up. I'm putting it out there. I'm gonna get signed up. So I went in and I quit. And um, and literally within a week, two weeks. I had two. You missed my bit out of that story. Yeah, he t yeah. Mm. I, I said I was thinking about it, and he said, "Go for it." Mm. He, can't, he said, "That's what, what I was trying to say." It, it, but my point in that is not because it's me that did it. What I'm saying is there are loads of people that don't do stuff because they don't mm. have the confidence, and their support network don't give them the confidence. So the moment he said, "I'm thinking about leaving," instead of doing what other people do, I suppose is, "Oh, you can't do that." Uh, and it is Ooh, the sensible thing, you know. You've I got said, bills to pay. Do and it. Da, 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 da. But Fuck he said, "Do it." He said, yeah. "Go for it," and I did. And literally within two weeks, I had two contract offers on the table. Um, and obviously, I signed for Wakefield, and I yeah. seem to be stuck there now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and and that and that that you was. Do, that, I do right? believe in that. I don't believe in. So going back to the secret. I was like, that's what I'm about I was to say. like, I it's a load of, it's, you write it, down you know, a piece of paper it's, it's, and the take it away. Yeah, it's, you, you think about it and if it doesn't come true, you didn't think about it hard enough. I it's wish I'd written the yeah, secret because yeah. it's, it's claptrap. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a cop out. Oh, made millions but and millions. Yeah. I, I suppose the thing about positive thinking and putting it out there and it gives you a, a goal and something, there's probably something in that. Um, yeah, we, we've we've talked about this quite a bit recently because yeah. we're, we're all setting kind of goals for 2019 and, and we're going to like put them on Organized. paper for each other. Like, yeah, yeah. And kind of like egg each contract. other on and make a contract and all we'll sign it. And then um, for ones we don't You're achieve. You're going to do this. Yeah, yeah. To make each other accountable. Yeah. Yeah. And for ones we don't achieve, 1% um, we'll put in a pot, give some of that to charity, use the rest. Of so maybe wage. like a, yeah, of like a, a trip. And uh, it's just a, a way to motivate us. And also 
the goals are there, right? To to make that the journey send worthwhile. Send Keegan mm. into a into a nervous frenzy, having to put something in that you could possibly not achieve. Yeah, you would hate that. That's it, though. Isn't but it? the aim is like we give set a the goals of your wage as well. Like you can set so them not quite only high. did you fail, you have to pay for the failure. <laughs> but <laughs> like, as long as you're aiming in that direction, it will make yes. the journey yeah, worthwhile. Yeah. Um, Which is the idea yeah, of the yeah. secret. Yeah, yeah. I, I get the idea of it, but actually, you don't need to buy into the book per se. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and all that. I like, I like the idea. We had Damon Hughes on the podcast. I don't know if it's number three or four, but he's, he's a... four, Liquid Thinker. Yeah, yeah Liquid Thinker is like a shit ton of books. I'm a liquid drinker. Yeah, <laughs> we all are. We? Um, but he's... Um, so he's, he's, he's kind of wrote these loads, loads of different books on sports psychology. And the one bit that I read on his original Liquid Thinker book, and it, it's the reticular activating system. And I'm reading it. Right, well, what's this? And... It seemed to be like the description was more or less saying it's like a filter for your mind. Um, so it's like the bouncer for your mind. Whatever comes into your mind is is kind of signal from the importance that you make. So you you know you set a goal for, for what you want to achieve, for mm. what you want to want to aim for, and then all of a sudden you start seeing things that link to that yeah. in your life. Um, and basically that's a scientific proven kind of thing, which, you know, the example would be if you go and try and buy a white BMW X3 and you're thinking you're going to buy that, the next thing you're going to see is when you drive around is 10 BMW yeah, yeah. white X3s because you, you, you're noticing it and you're spotting it. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a goal, you know, you'll you, you, and you want to kind of make some event, you'll start meeting people that are aligned to that. Um, so that's one kind of like scientific proven thing that, that happens in your mind. And it's like, well, it's kind of like a, a literal kind of secret, really, in it. It's kind of a proven An kind of thing. That's, um, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's that, that the reality doesn't change, but you notice different things. Exactly. It, right? like and that's the, your, the basis of your experience, and yeah, it is, yeah. is the mind. I which, do firmly that, believe if you want something, if you want something, I know it's a, it's the oldest cliche in the world, but if you want something, you work hard, you go and get it. And a lot of the time that people don't achieve that is because this is because they're outwardly saying to people, I'm working hard to achieve this goal. And actually they're not. They're not even in the right shop. You know, you it's like people that go, got... I'm going to win the lottery one day. Do you play it? No. Well, I think what that is, though, is it's a reorganising of priorities. Yeah. So mm. if you go, I'm going to, um, I'm going to get a six pack, something like that. Then suddenly your priorities is, that was one of mine last year. He, he, yeah, he, what, do you want to six pack? Yeah, hey, it's, it's still, it's still like, up for debate. And do you have to pay 1% of charity now? Yeah. So so you suddenly your priorities become eating well, exercising more, and going down the list go, is going out on the piss and eating pizza. So it's just a re And then obviously yeah, yeah. you see mm. something that's to do with, and because you've reorganised your priorities, that is the the new health fad thing that's gonna that it's, be, it's, it's literally whether you, you get up and do it and that's it's about anything in life you either treat it as you, you can right so if you want to achieve something you either treat it as one day or day one Mm. See, people go, I'm, 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 I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But actually their answer is, I'm going to do it one day. Mm. And then there's a whole other set of people that go, I am going to do it. And today is day one. Yeah. It's quite pithy. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite what? Pithy. What, did, what do you mean by pithy? Like uh, very succinct. and. It is. Well, it's, it, What's it's, the difference in people making that choice? Well, there's differences. People that are all, are all taught 
because everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is saying that that's what they're going to do. The mates are saying that that's so I'm going to join that bandwagon. I'm going to jump on. I'm going to say, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And actually what you can say is, you know what, lads, I really don't want to have a six pack. I really don't want it. And actually I'm going to book the trend and say, that's not for me. Or you are one of the same group of lads and you do want it. You do what want they you want want what they've got, and you say, right, this is day one for me. I'm going to go and achieve it. And and actually, there's so many people that are coerced into, you know, they're they're drawn in to say that this is right. Okay, Instagram, lads on Instagram, right? What the fuck is everybody doing with their lives? Because you see groups and it can be two of them, four of them, six of them, eight of them, and they've all got the same clothes on. They've all, I'm going to knit your gag, they've all got pants that they need to invite down to the shoes for a cup of tea. They've all got the same tattoos. They've all got the same girlfriends. They've all got the same lives. And behind every single one of those faces, they are dead behind the eyes. And it's because they're all, one of them does it and he's the alpha male of the group or so he thinks. And normally there will be one alpha male. The rest of them all think they're alpha males and they're not, they're lucky if they're beta males, but they've all followed suit and they've all got the same tattoos and they've all got the same outfit on. And they're all dead behind the eyes because there's only one of them that's achieved anything, which was the original member that's gone, all right, lads, look at me. And then they all, all the others have followed suit. And it's the saddest thing in the world. It's just the thirst in people to just be like 50 million other people on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I would far rather see pe- pictures of people's poached eggs than see photo after photo stuff. after photo of the same but how often do people sit down and go right this is actually what i want because there's yeah, that, to consciously it, think yeah, it, yeah it's it's quite uh a taxing thing to sit down yeah, and go it's hard yeah. i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna be really honest with myself which is something that's quite difficult to do for the majority of people you know i certainly find that quite difficult um and then to go what do i actually really want like what do i really want if if something wasn't a in the way that I could just go and I, and I could do it and that's what I want to do. And then how do I go about doing that? Like it's doing an inventory and sitting and yeah. going through that. The majority of people don't even think to do that. Like it's not a thing that you sit and talk about and go, what do you actually want? Mm-hmm. Like for friends, how, and that's, I suppose, what me and Ant have got in our friendship is that you have someone and like what you, you two guys are talking about is someone who's accountable and go, is this what you really want to do? Yeah, are you yeah. really where you're at? Um, and people kind of just, you know, fair weather friends and go, yeah, I like your trousers and then think, you know, you look like a twat. But you, if so, that were your friend, you go, mate, don't wear those trousers, you look like a twat. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's you know, it's cutting right that. Uh, and that's a, a, something really simple and base. But, you know, are you happy where your life's going? It's quite a difficult conversation to have with someone. And then you've got to have that with yourself to go, am I happy with where my life's going? And it's... Instagram is all fur coat and no knickers. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's, lit- all. it's literally homogenized, milky white, bland. There's not much substance fuckery. To it, is it's there? just yeah. nonsense. It is banal nonsense, and it's ream after ream after ream of these same individuals. You can't even pick them out. They all look the same with the same tattoos, with the same. It's just, and that's what's being fed to young people. That that's what you should aspire to is be. There, and it's is, like, there, is there a moment or like decision in 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 like your time? I don't know whether it's before Coronation Street or before you know that that job where you had a 
you know, like a certain epiphany like that where you thought, I'm not going to follow what, you know, what these trends are. I'm not going to get lost in that kind of quagmire. I'm going to be different and, and, and do your well, own I thing. Well, I always was different. You know, I was, you know, I was, uh, I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite old. I'm 43. So when I was a young person, you know, a kid leading into a young adult, um, first of all, I was, uh, stop doing that with your neck, Stevie. I can't help it. It keeps now. cracking his neck. It makes me go, <laughs> um, and it's bad for you, man. Anyway, it? yes, it, of course it is. Some if it clicks, it's not supposed to. Just get that okay. check. Gone, gone too um, far. <laughs> I, so I started, first of all, I started working when I was a kid. I'd never wanted to do anything else other than be a performer. And that came from watching Morgan and Wise on the television. That's what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do. Mm. And I'm going to get up on the table and I'm going to do it. I was never... I was never pushed into do it. I was never even gently coerced into do it. That's what I was going to do. I was five years old and that's what I'm going to do. So I've always had focus on this. Mm. Um, Which this is good, world. right? Like some people don't know what they want to do. Uh, yeah, I think it's really useful. And do you know what? Because nowadays, if you fast forward to now, if you're a young person, now if you're a you know, 12-year-old boy or girl, and that's what you see on Instagram... And that's what's getting 50,000 yeah. likes. And that's what matters. That's what matters, that You're people like you. Yeah. I've never gone through life about people liking me. I've wanted people to like me for what I do. I now, in, in, you know, in, the, in my twilight years as a 43-year-old lady, I now want people <laughs> to like what my legacy might be. You know, if I'm ever going to be given a prize, I don't want a prize for what I do on the television. I pay, I'm paid to do that. I've never had to work a day in my life as far as that's concerned because I love my job so mm. much. I don't need a prize for that but what I'd love my legacy to be is that I've in some way helped somebody that's not from my walk of life that, that I had no need to but I, purely and simply because I wanted to and because I have got a big gob and a voice and a platform that I've actually used it for good nowadays you get just the you know page after page after page and all it is is about like I couldn't give two shits about whether somebody likes me because of what I do on uh, for a job. That's my job. It's personal to me. You know, I, I, and I love my job and actually it's all subjective. And if you like it, it's great. And if you don't, I'm not doing it for anybody else. I do it because it's all I've ever known and I love it. And I'm very, very privileged to do what, be able to do what I do. But the, 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 the beast that, you know, fame has brought nowadays this nonsense on Instagram where everybody wants to be one and the same I've never wanted to be like anybody else for years it went against me for years because I wasn't like no no, no what we're looking for is we're looking for a William Ash no no we're looking for a Kieran O'Brien no no what we're looking for is a, you know all the other lads that were my contemporaries mm. because when I was 16 there weren't no gay people on the television you know they, you didn't have gay characters in The Bill or in Coronation Street or in you know blah blah all that there wasn't any they just didn't exist. So I was constantly trying to be something else, not because I was insecure or, or unsatisfied with who I was, but it was about getting jobs. It's about work. You know, I started work when I was really young. It's about work and it's about, you know, earning a living. And I, I'm never more out of kilter than when I'm not working. I literally don't like having days off. I don't like it. I like to work. And so my 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 work has always you know my job has always been the most important mm. thing to me never about being liked it's been about liked in the room to get the job of course i don't care whether people like me or not life's too short for that if you spend your time and now it is literally a like it's yeah, a yeah, symbol yeah, it on an app that somebody presses like, like 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 it's 
now literally that desperate need to be liked. I mean, no wonder people are fucked up in the head because it's, you know, there's that, I don't know whether you saw the program about, you know, kind of the making of Facebook, the algorithm, the the never ending scroll, you know, it's all been put there purposely. They're liked, somebody designed that like thumbs up because they knew it was going to get people it's using our brain circuitry against us, like in the sense that they yeah, want us to be... it goes against everything that your survival yeah. techniques, your inbuilt survival techniques, which are there to protect you, it goes against the grain. It's like literally running off the edge of the cliff. And you know that there's no good, there's no good that comes at the edge of it. You need to stop at the edge because otherwise you're going to fall and it's going to be your undoing. And yet you see, you know, like lemmings, people just... In the same kit. I mean, geez, Louise, when I was younger, when I was, you know, thank you, Keegan. <laughs> always makes Keegan laugh at When I was younger. <laughs> um, when people wrote on tablets. Yes, and in woman shows ankle to chimney sweep days. Greek mythology. Um, thank you, Chris. Um, so Plato I, was Anthony's drama teacher. <laughs> oh, you're such a had um when i was younger you know this these things didn't exist of course they didn't exist but also fundamentally the thing that i loved about my young you know especially my theater workshop days and where all my friends ships were formed you know the majority of which i'm still the best of friends with today i got back from los angeles two weeks ago i saw one of my mates that i met when i was 10 years old she that she's an actress and now lives there but was how different we were i was the big old Mary Ellen, you know, Marsha was the black girl, but, you know, but Lucy and Michelle, everybody was different. One had red hair, one had dark hair, one was black, one was gay, one was, we were all different. We couldn't possibly have dressed the same way because we were all different. We were different heights, we were different shapes and sizes. But social so, media's changed people's value systems. It's completely It's a platform now, isn't it, yeah. put everyone together. And, it's, mm. yeah. And that it goes back Instagram. to the thing Sounds we were awful. speaking about earlier about put someone in that box, you know, they're the... That's the fit girl on Instagram and that's mm. the geeky guy on Instagram and that's the person who does landscapes and that's... And in a strange way, those lads that are, that are in on mass in groups with all the same tattoos and all that, you can't, you can't help but feel sorry for them because actually what they're doing is quite, it's quite animalistic in that they're following the leader and they're wanting to be part of um, a tribe. And I always say it um, when I do anything with... Um, recovery centres is we're all just walking the world we're just trying to find our tribe and when I met for example when I when I met Keegan or when I first started working with the with the military I found my tribe and the people that are lost and lonely and suffering suffer everybody has mental health issues but the people that are suffering with mental health issues is because they've not found their tribe. And all those lads they're doing on Instagram is they're just trying to be part of a tribe. But I firmly believe you can find your tribe, but my God, it's important to keep your individuality and to, to, to look different at least. Like my mate's got tattoos up to his neck, so I'm going to get tattoos up to my neck. It's like at some point there's got to be the one kid in that group that goes, nah, lads, I'm not doing that. I think you look, look like a bunch of dicks. Because they all look the same. Who wants to look the same? There's nothing worse than going into a party where everybody looks the same. You know, it's... But then I suppose the flip side, if someone might say there's comfort in, there's a bit of safety in being accepted. I'd rather be in a group and not be where I want to be than be on my own and... 
maybe that's their thinking or yeah absolutely but you know what when you when you mark yourself sometimes physically literally or you'll mark your space in time you know lads 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 everybody at ocean beach all in the same shorts all with the same tattoos all with the same drink all with the same pose hey yeah. guys you know all that you know what they're all going to get married they're all going to go and have kids they're all going to have careers they're all they're all going to leave and then you look like the person in 20 years time still do you know there's always one who's still going ocean beach you go where's your mate They've all fucked off. And then where does that leave them all? They all end up kind of, it, they all end up lost because they found the tribe. They all looked the same. They all wore the same outfit. They all, they all homogenized into one. And then pop, 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 pop like I a boy band. They all leave. And then mm. they're all going, but I've lost my identity now. Because you know what? I didn't, I didn't have one. I didn't have one. I had everybody else's identity, which for that time felt like a comfort. It felt like they were, they'd found their tribe. But actually, lads, are you going to be with this same group of people in 40 years' time? And a lot of the times, no, it's not going to happen because you've, you've lost who you were. And you know we'll be all right. The alpha male that set it all up, the one that first got the tattoos up to the net, he'll be the mm. one that's all right. Everybody else that followed suit... You, you just get lost in the on the journey and on the, by the wayside, and Keegan's doing the international gesture for shut up. Listen, I'll talk until I mean, this is he'll talk. It's getting him to shut up I, is the trick. I, listen, I'll talk until somebody else comes up with a point. If you tell me to shut up, I'll shut up. Shut up. But, you know, as as somebody once said to me in work, I don't actually listen to the lines. It's just white noise, white noise, white noise. My line. White noise, white noise, white noise, my line. So, so you'd have no the God's on what's going on. When I, when I do a scene and it's a group scene in the Rovers and I know I've got, you know, three lines in the scene, the moment there's quiet, I'll go, it was me, Ken. And, it, and it's not that. Somebody's just acting and pause, but I have this fear. Shit, it's my line. So I'll just say, I'll go, I've not listened to what anybody else is saying and I've said it in completely just, the wrong point. But I know that I have to say, it was me, Ken. And the moment of silence, I go, it was me, Ken. And then somebody will go, no, I, I, I was just pausing. I was acting. Sorry. Just <laughs> in silence. Acting. So I just came out with my line. How, how different do you, do you feel like you, you have to be as, as Sean on Corey? Uh, it's, it's quite schizophrenic. I have, uh, there's Sean, playing Sean, and then there's and me, Anthony, that goes on to a chat show to sell Sean, to, mm. talk, you know, to talk about the show. That's a different character. Then there's this person that's kind of talking about real life that's nothing to do with per se, anything in particular. It's just about me. Mm. That's a character. That's a third. And then there's the fourth person, which is actually a miserable get behind closed doors when nobody else is here and I'm complaining about everything and everybody. That's yeah. the actual So there's me. a breakdown there. Yeah, there's four, there's four different versions. There's Sean, which is a character. There's two versions of Anthony. They, that's on show a bit, but it's me. And then there's the one that that friends and family see. Uh, so it is quite schizophrenic. I'm I'm mad. I am mental. <laughs> I am thinking mental. about Carnation Street and those sort of shows do a really good job of actually having those big conversations that we've kind of having about. Um, you know, I think soaps are the first people to have a gay couple on on um, on screen. And then recently they dealt with male suicide on Coronation Street, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, past few years has been a big kind of issue. Um, they do, they are they very do, useful they at holding, it, yeah. they at holding a mirror up to society. Yeah, and, and I feel like they shift the national consciousness a little bit. Um, you, you did a storyline recently about homelessness. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember you talking uh, in an interview about how actually in your real life, there are actual real incidents of people who'd reached out to you that you, you then began to kind of help as well. Uh, yeah, one particular, I mean, it was very, very, it, that was p- a pure coincidence. Mm. And I'm not really, me and Keegan have these conversations about whether coincidences exist and, you know, sliding doors moments, all that. But genuinely, I was in the middle of doing Dancing on Ice. Um. Anthony, I, I remember I was the first time Anthony went to meet this lad. Something had come up on Twitter. It was Facebook. A, a Facebook about someone had gone missing and mm. they used to be in the military. And it and Ant must have been following it on his social media. Oh, that was on Twitter, yes. Yes, it yeah. is, yes, yes. And it came up and then someone said, I think I've found this lad who everyone's looking for. And was he in Manchester? Well, the, the, my case, there was sadly, there was loads of, at that time, there was loads of stories about people that were missing, about people that were, um, there was that lad, Corrie, that's still never been found. There was this lad who was in Manchester, just, just for this one. And Anthony was like, I'm going to go pick him up. I'm going to go mm. and get him. So me and Peter were like, I don't think that's a, that's a nice thing. That's not necessarily a good idea. Do you want us to come with you? Da, 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 da. Anyway, he ended, up, he ended up not going that particular day, didn't you? Because the charity told me. I phoned a, a charity in Manchester and said, if I can get this lad, he wasn't in Manchester at the time. He would, but, um, Basically, I'd met him once, years ago once, and he disappeared off the face of the earth. And then out of the blue, you know, in that bit of Facebook where not people that you know, or because all my Facebook private, so it like sits in that cesspit of people that have sent messages. Oh, yeah, the you know, requests. The, the requests, yeah, yeah. which I opened. A thousand people have sent me <laughs> messages. Woo. But weirdly, I, right at the top was him. And I thought, I, I recognised and I clicked and it was him. And he basically said, I'm homeless. I've been homeless for a year. Can you help me? You're my, you're my, and then he said, you're my only one. You're my only hope. Wasn't that um, Carrie Fisher in Souls? Yeah, Souls. Um, I help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. Um, but he did, he sent me this message saying, um, I've got nobody else to turn to. Please, can you help me? Fast forward to, <laughs> because I am, I am mad. And they, and Keegan does roll his eyes at me and go, here we go. Like we've been walking down the street. We once went to Dublin, we were walking down the street and I think Anthony bought about six, six homeless people sandwiches on the way. Uh, and we were just trying to get somewhere and I was like, can we just get to, this isn't really nice what you're doing. Can we just get to where you're going? But obviously Ant would sit and talk to people and why are you here and da, 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 da. And people don't see that and he would never say that. He would never advertise that I'm, that's what he does. I'm, I'm mortified. He does, he does like really nice stuff like just that no one would ever know about, no one needs to know about. You wouldn't advertise that unless you're that kind of person. But, and then, yeah, and going and looking after this lad and he went, to, he got him to the charity. The charity. So when they, when Keegan is saying that he said, that's not a good idea, you've got no idea, he could be armed, he could be whatever. I was like, but you know what? My instinct just tells me it's going to be all right. But because of them saying it, I then rang a homeless charity <laughs> because I am gobby. I said, will one of you come with me? <laughs> and the charity, obviously they have a set of rules and there's yeah, bureaucracy. Yeah. And they said, well, that is not a service that we offer. And they echoed what, what you'd said which is and we also don't recommend that you do that because you have no idea what you're dealing with but if you can get him to Manchester get mm. him to get himself to Manchester then we will start we, we'll, we'll do whatever we can so I was like right then I'm not going to go and get him I'm going to 
getting to get to Manchester. And in the same way, weirdly, although this, just bear with me, in the, in a, some, they'd knocked some sense into me and gone, that might be not be the greatest of ideas. And that might, you might not, don't do that. So I, I said, okay, I won't do that. I spoke to the charity. They said, get him to Manchester. And then, um, and then he, he arrived in Manchester, but he arrived in Manchester because I'd said to him, if you get yourself to Manchester, I will help you. And that in some way, I suppose subconsciously was me saying, I've got the baton in my hand, but I'm not going to lob it over a wall to you. You've got to come and get it. Yeah, and then yeah. if you come and get it, then it means that you're, that you're serious about this. Yeah, yeah. You, that you want to not be homeless. You n want to not be in this situation. You're not just saying it because you need money for whatever. Do you know what I mean? It, what, it, and, he, and he didn't have any money. So I knew it was going to be a real challenge for him to get there. But if he's going to go, if he's going to jump, the, you know, the, the barrier at a train station, if he's going to dodge a ticket collector and try and, you know, get out of his, to get here, if he's going to put the work in, I will then a thousandfold put the work in beyond there. And, and so it, I suppose subconsciously it was a test. And had it not been for people that love and care for me saying, don't do that, don't do that, maybe it wouldn't have worked out the way it did. But anyway, sure enough, I said, wherever you got, he got a phone, that's all he had to him. He had a tiny backpack with a pair of spare underpants in it. That's all he had. Everything else was in a tent that was hidden away in Lancashire somewhere. And so we arrived with a backpack. He was about eight stone, like emaciated, and a mobile phone. I said, "If you, when you get some signal from anywhere, whether that's in your shopping, and sure enough, at about um, four o'clock, he said, I'm at the station, I'm going to go. And I said, right. And I booked him into a hotel for three nights. I said, that's what I'm going to do for you so far. I'm going to book you in. If you get, to, if you get here, I'm going to book you in and you'll have a bed for three nights in a hotel. And, and he said, right, I'm going to do it. And I booked him into a hotel at, in, uh, in the Northern Quarter. And I said, get there. I sent him the address. I said, get there and I'll meet you there. And sure enough, at seven o'clock, he said, I'm here. And I'm in the room and I walked into the room and I'd only ever met him once. And when I met him, he was about, he wasn't not tall like Keegan, but he was built like a brick shit house, skinhead. He was massive. He was built dude. He, he went to the gym seven days a week kind of thing. And I walked in the room and he was sat on a bed in a pair of tracksuit bottoms. And he, well, he, he, he was sunken. His face was sunken. He was about eight stone. He was emaciated. And I, it took me all my time, in turn, inside, I was weeping because I was so shocked, like so shocked. But outwardly, I was doing what I do. I, you know, the stuff that I do at recovery centres or, you know, with help, whatever. So I had the spiel and I gave him the spiel about what he had to do. And I didn't mollycoddle it. But throughout the thing, I had my hand on his knee. I wasn't, I wasn't pussyfooting around him. I wasn't going, I wasn't patronizing him but I did have my hand on his knee and I just gave him a set of instructions you're gonna have to do this you're gonna have to do that and if you want me involved you're gonna have to do this we're gonna have to do that tomorrow we're gonna have to get up and do this tomorrow and I said and are you are you on board and there was a whole set of things going on I mean, the whole kit and kaboom we had a whole thing to deal with and um do, do you have do you have any idea of where he's at now then yeah or? I'm still in touch with him wow I spent every single day with him 
He's got a, he's got a job. He's got, got a job, full time employment. Wow. He's got a car, <sighs> and um, and he. So this was all going on, and I was doing Dancing on Ice with Broken Ribs and Coronation Street. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I spent every single day at whatever point in the day I could afford through schedule, I would go. So I drove round hostels. I was in I was in a really rehabilitation clinic. I was at the next hostel. I was at the next charity. And I went and I took him. And I'm telling you now, the reason there are so many homeless people in the world, and there's so many homeless homeless people in our... Sorry, we've just come back from LA, from... California and San Francisco, pff, whole other level. But there's so many people, homeless people in our cities. Manchester, it, it, you know, obviously is a big one. Um, and do you know why so many? Because they've just given up. Because that kid that I helped in my fancy car and, you know, w- with with wherewithal and somebody with a big gob like me who would knock on doors, he would have had to have walked a 12-mile round trip every single day in the freezing cold with n- with nothing on him. He had no, he had nothing. Well, you do that for, for a day, let alone two days, let alone a week, 12 miles and you've not eaten. I mean, it's just, a, it's a physical impossibility and the, the mental health issues that are going on because you are ghosted. You literally do not exist. If you don't have an address, you have no right to anything, no benefits, no housing, nothing. You are ghosted. You are literally got rid of out of the system and there's no way back in. And in order to get into hostels and in order to get appointments at, at all points, there's just this red tape. And because the, because he then became, I became obsessed with it. I found everything out. I found the name of the charities, Riverside Housing, magnificent charity. And I went with him and I, and I got him a load of clothes together of my own, donated him a load of stuff, got him a new bag and I knocked on the doors. And very, very luckily at that time, it was in January was a thing called SWEP, which I've, I didn't know, but it's severe weather protocol. And it means that when severe weather, when it drops below a certain temperature, i.e. freezing, that every single government council building is not allowed to refuse somebody shelter. And lo and behold, the week I got hold of him, when he went into the hotel for the first three days, was when the severe weather programme had kicked in and it had gone below freezing. So with the door that we knocked on, they had no choice. And he went in. And they said, you can only be here for as long as the sweat's on. It might be one night, it might be two nights. And I got hold of them in the, in the, 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 the women that were working there who were beautiful. And I got hold of them in the office away from him so you didn't hear. And I said, I'm telling you now, you're not letting him go. You're not letting him go. Here's my number. Here's my email. You are not letting him go. And I don't care how it happens, but you are not letting him go. I will sort him. I will take this problem away, but you are going to house him for as long as he needs. And... Their response was, can we have a picture for the website? I said, sure you can. And, um, and they did, they looked after him. He stayed there for a week. We moved him somewhere else. And then this brilliant thing happened. We got him into a private house and then he got an address and then his benefits kickstarted. And then he, and then we got him into a, I went to a charity with him. They said, they've got this new idea about going into work in construction. Well, you used to be a plasterer and, um, and we all went and we met them. And again, me with the big gob. I was like, so when's he going to start? And they said, well, he'll start on Monday. And I went, jobs are good. And he started. Amazing. And, but that story is nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with me. That story is about, I'm saying that story out loud. That story is about anybody that, that 
has the wherewithal, the capa any capacity whatsoever to help somebody. Anthony once said something to me when I first came out. He said, everybody, um, everybody has an idea of what they want to do, but sometimes you just need somebody to hold you up and just kind of put you in the light a little bit. Um, and he certainly did that with me, and he, I've seen him do it with, you know, like he says, he does loads of stuff with the military and 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 all that. You know, even I got involved with military because of Ant and stuff like that but he does well he's good and yeah it's a it's a it's a it's the reality and and that is for sadly for a lot of people that is their reality and they don't have anybody to lift them up and to you know to put them on a pedestal or give them a helping hand and yeah. then weirdly and it's pure coincidence i swear to god in the midst of all this i get a phone call at work sorry i, I, I have a line in a scene and i'm like what does that mean he keeps saying that he's pretending to do. And so I rang up to speak to somebody, to a producer, and the producer wasn't there, but the assistant producer was. And he rang me back and he said, well, come in. And I went, I can't really now. I'm doing the scene now, but what? just give me an idea. And they said, they're going to make Sean homeless. So I said, what do you mean homeless? Bearing in mind, reverting back to work mode, this is Sean we're talking about, everybody's friend. Yeah. He went, what do you mean homeless? And he went, well, he's gonna, it's going to be a real community story. So he's starting to tell fibs about where he's going because actually, you know, he's... he's He's running out of ideas. And I went, but, but I said, what? Okay. So he's going to leave Eileen's. And they went, yeah. And I said, so where's he going to be? And they said, You're gonna, he's going to be homeless. And I went, yeah, I understand that. So whose sofa is he going to be on? And he went, no, no, he's going to be homeless. And I went, Sean's going to be homeless. Affronted like it's a real person. My Sean is going to be homeless. <laughs> and he said, yeah. Now, when, I'm, when this lad that I helped in real life uh, got a hold of me, I said, where are you? And he said, I'm living in a, in a tent in a, in a stairwell, in a block of council flats. I'm living in a tent. So, and the tent was what he'd left behind when he got to Manchester. He couldn't carry it all. So that's what he left behind. He literally left that life behind, but it was a tent. So, and at the time when he said he lived in a tent, you know, we see the demonstration villages where, you know, in major cities where the, and they're living in a tented village. We see that. So he said to me, he'd live in a tent. I was like, what do you mean you live in a tent? He said, I'm living in a tent. And I went, it's just you on your own. He went, yeah, I'm not in a, in a doorway for shelter. So I was like, wow, is that a thing? I didn't know that was a thing. Anyway, so fast forward, then I'm speaking to the assistant producer, Tony, and he said, yeah. And I said, no, but where's he going to stay? This is Sean. He was like, no, he's going to be homeless. I'm like, what do you mean he's going to be homeless? Like, stay, sleeping where? Thinking he was going to say he's going to be staying on Blah's sofa. And he went, no, he's going to be homeless. And I went, but where's he sleeping? He said, in a tent. And I went, and he went, what? And I went, I'm, ju I'm just going to have to have a moment now. I I'm just, can I come up and see Bit you? And he went, there. and he went, yeah. And I went upstairs and I went, you're not going to believe this. I'm helping a lad that's been sleeping in a tent. And previous to this, he had a missus, two kids, an Audi, a business, everything. And he ended up homeless, living in a tent. Mm. So when we went into the story... They were saying, you know, we do research and stuff like that. I then was able to say, you need to speak to Barnabas in Manchester because yeah. they're very specific to Manchester. Shelter are amazing. They're national charity and they help out the smaller charities. So Shelter we spoke to and Barnabas. And and I said to the to Tony, I went, you're not going to believe this, but this is exactly, this has been my life for the past couple of months. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I'm helping rehome a homeless lad who was living in a tent in a stairwell. 
And so when we did it, when we did it, I knew all about that world. And and I knew whether something was realistic or not. And I knew also that in the aftermath, when it was being shown for every person that would say, Sean wouldn't be homeless. He's got friends. He's got a job. He's got da, da, da. Uh, I, I knew somebody in real life that had friends and a job and it all went wrong. And, and that's, I suppose that's the kismet that it happened that way. Sliding doors moments like what if, what if, and going back to my lad you know and I suppose tying in with mental health stuff when you when you feel like you can't achieve or you feel like you've not got support etc that's when things can can self-fulfilling prophecy it's not gone well because I thought it wouldn't go well I knew it wouldn't go well and I didn't ask for help you know the story about my lad was he asked for help and and he also asked somebody that is like a bulldog and I once I took it on uh, you are not only going to be given a home you're going to have a job and you're going to get your life back and by hook or by crook over my dead body is that not going to happen and so we went into it as a partnership I've always said to him you know we're a good team me and you and he repeats it back to me you we're a good team and it's never, it's n that's why I was saying before, it's that story has nothing to do with me. That's the, that's the story about somebody that is literally on the bones of their arse with nothing. Yes, he got some help, but we did it as a team and it, we found in each other a bit of a tribe. And I said, if you look after me, I'll look after you. And that kid has never asked me for money. I've given him a bit of shekel here and there. He's never asked me for money. I've made sure every time I saw him, I bought him a sandwich, bought him his lunch, bought him a nice hot coffee, furnished him with bottles of water, whatever he needed, stuff like that. He never asked me. For, in fact, I don't think he ever asked me for money. I think I've slipped him 20 quid here and there, literally mm. a couple of times though. The rest he's all done himself. I've just, like Keegan was just saying, helped him. I've just helped him lifted him up a little bit and shown him the light. And and he's done it. He's done it. And he And he's... And he's never looked back. And he sent me a photograph a couple of weeks ago of him outside his car. And he still has this like gait of somebody that's, that is the big I am, he's the big dog. And he said he's still, you know, 15 stone meathead. Yeah. Stood outside his car and he said, it might not look much, but that car means more to me than anything I've ever owned. Mm. You know, and it's, you know, it's his banger that cost him 500 quid, but it gets him from A to B. I think, I think that's a massive message that for, for people listening, like the support that, that you can offer and, for me, from this is is what I've got is how important relationships are. Mm -hmm. Like you know, you know, friends, whatever it is, you know, you lending a hand to to someone who's homeless and needs a help. Um, I think that's massive for anyone listening that for how much help they can offer people. Um, and it also the other thing is it's a two way street. That's what I was saying about Keegs. You probably learned a lot oh my more of him than when when else was I going to be in a homeless shelter, mm -hmm. in a hostel, in a in a in a clinic, in a um, you know, in a charitable, homeless charity play. When when was I going to be given that opportunity if it wasn't for him? Mm. Uh, I've learned so much. Like there was one bit where we were in a in a rehabilitation clinic and everybody's absolutely out of their mind on spice or whatever the kids are taking nowadays, wandering around like, literally like the walking dead. And I had hold of his knee and like a parent, you know, when you were a kid and you were a ghost yeah. in front of people keeping up appearances. I had hold of his knee and I said, you are never, ever, ever being one of these people. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, we'll be with you. Never, mm. ever, ever are you going to be this. And he was like, I promise you I won't. I promise yeah. you I won't. 
Um, but whenever would I have had that opportunity to experience that part of life and to to see how some what some people are dealing with, you know, and it's we live in a world where everybody's so quick to to say, oh, that's because they're on drugs. Oh, it's because yeah. they're a, an alky. Oh, it's this, you know, whatever. When anybody's not doing well in life, people are, you know, very quick to dismiss it and go, oh, well, that's because of that. They probably deserve it. And actually think, have you, have you, have you ever actually stopped and asked somebody why, mm. what, how they've got it? You know, yeah. there's human beings at the end of these, you know, at the end, at the end of, of, of whatever you're physically seeing there. And there's a human being behind that. And there's a story and there's a reason. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you, I, I know it sounds wanky to say if you stop and listen, but, and it's your life, you know, we've all got shit going on and people are just trying to get through life and people are struggling is, is, is themselves. And I under, I totally understand that. But like Keegan said, you know, the buying of a sandwich, it's not necessarily just the buying of a sandwich, although with a homeless person, it, it's, it's helping them because, you know, they need food um but it's also you look somebody in the eye and you Gesture. go god uh you know and it's, it's that tying in of asking someone are you okay yeah where are you going what are you doing as in existentially what are you doing where are you going yeah and it has like you said about relationships and it has an effect and and then you go oh, someone does care and then you you it, it gives you a kick up the ass and it's it's about the humanity of it and the interaction of it and it's it's easy to say that's someone and that's their story and I'm going to leave them alone but it takes it takes real courage to go over to someone engage with someone mm. listen to like not hear someone but actually listen to someone and then act on it in any sense of the word whether it's a friend a family member mm. a stranger it's because we are all busy with our own lives trying to get through and but we are social creatures so it's uh, it yeah. comes with the territory I think I think uh, sorry Chris man, I think that's a massive thing that like those kind of things you, you rounded off there to, to kind of understand or stop and think for where you want to go and what you're doing that's like one bit of advice I'd have for, for guys listening to this is to take some sort of time away from from all that rushing around that kind of the rat race the momentum the 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 rat race yeah um chris does it in the form of 10-day meditation retreats but it doesn't have to be that it can be just a three-day break maybe going away on your own or you know doing something just away from what you normally do but i think um just before we get out of your air and, and wrap up is there any sort of like you know one thing that, that you guys would have for for the listeners today um on some sort of advice which which i don't know sean uh sean i've been called <laughs> sean, worse yeah sorry no, so I, I religiously just watched coronation street so it's <laughs> like i'm sat with sean and um, i'm sure this. you'll cut that out won't you so you don't yeah, look like we'll an idiot that. um <laughs> but i, I have been called worse. i'm fine and listen yeah. it's bought me a lovely house i've got a really nice life so i don't mind being called sean sean's been very very good to me <laughs> Sean's a good friend. Um, so I, there's a lot worse you could call me. But if there's, if there's uh, any, yeah, any, uh, any, what you've got like one kind of, one dime of advice that you could give and obviously Keegan as well, if, if you can. I think for out. me, um, what I've found out and I certainly didn't know about, I certainly didn't think this probably 10 years ago, but as I've got older, laugh now Keegan, as I've, <laughs> But as I've got older, something that I've realised is 
I never realised such joy in... I'm trying to word this right. So when I was younger, joy came in many, many forms. It's to do with jobs and people and uh, yeah, all the things, things you were able to buy that you could never buy before, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in my, in the later years, in, uh, you know, recently I've realized I've never known such joy in help until I helped somebody that I knew would never be able to pay me back. And I, and that might sound like a tweet, might sound pithy. It might sound like a, a cute, like, um, but I genuinely mean that I've never, I have never known joy until I realised that I'm doing it purely and simply because I'm able to and I can and and and, and it's and I'm and and I know that they'll never be able to pay me back because it's not about that. It's li- I'm literally going to do it because because you need it and I and I can and I'm not going to walk away and go I can help you but I can't be asked. Mm. And of course, listen, you can you can only do what you can do in whatever shape. But I genuinely, I've never known, I've never known like a contentment until you do, you realise you're doing something for somebody that's, that's, that's never going to be able to pay you back because it doesn't have any, it doesn't have, it's, it's beyond value or currency. Just to, yeah, just to jump in there. um, I don't think I've mentioned it on the pod before, but I'm part of a movement called the Effective Altruism Movement. And um, I took a pledge to give 10% of my earnings every year to charitable causes. It's a bit like the Kabbalah. Yeah, a lot of people have, uh, there's a similar in a couple of religious texts, they have um, similar traditions and a lot of the causes aren't always the ones you've heard of because um, they're the ones that a lot of research says will do the most good in the world. And and there's a real kind of satisfaction and comfort in the fact you, you know you're kind of doing it and it's not for any uh, other kind of, I'm not saying some of these things are selfish, but it is completely like, Listening to you speak about that story there, I could tell 100% wholeheartedly that your kindness you showed there was completely selfless. And and I think um, you you said, you know, you kept, you said it a few times that it wasn't about you, but I think, you know, listening to it was actually quite special. And I guess a lot of people know you as Sean, but I hope they get to like you as Anthony as well, because I well, found that quite profound. Well, that's doors. This is like a one-off. This is only because, this is only because we're doing this one. And no, this is, this is all an act as well. I, I don't want people to think that about me. I want to just, <laughs> well, see, look, you, I'm making me nervous. I'm clutching my knees now at the thought that I have to do more of this. Well, I think it's quite special that like, just little acts of kindness like that, you've made monumental changes to some people. And I guess, you know, you said that that actually... Been really but I tell you what, I tell you what I think it is. I'm never going I'm not interested in having kids. I don't want to have kids. That's mm. uh, fine. If you want kids, that's a beautiful thing. It's what makes the world go around. Yes. And I love kids that are in my life, young people, the future. I get all that. I don't want my own kids though. And I suppose in a roundabout way, what I'm doing with the with the stuff with the um lads and lasses of the arm of the military with my mate that I helped there, I suppose that's what I'm channeling my energy into. But is, but the for me the beauty of it is, they don't have to live in your house. You can still have your nice white walls, <laughs> yeah. and you've not got you know sick on your sofa. Yeah. So I suppose they are. It's like that energy is the same energy and love that I'm that you would use for your own kids. Mm. But I'm doing it for in a, in a channel it in a different way. So I suppose there is some in in a. 
inbuilt in all of us where we want to pass the baton on and see. So when my mate sent me the photograph of him with his car, proud as punch, I was proud as punch. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that was like me seeing my, a photograph of one of my own yeah, at the first yeah. day of college yeah. or with their first car, et cetera, et cetera. I felt that pride. Cool. But like I say, they don't have to mess my house up and they don't have to live with me. Well, I hope people are inspired by it anyway. Um, well, that's very people kind of you say, Chris. Yeah, do things. I think Keegan lived with me for a while. I mean, that was on the whole fun um but we <laughs> we rode like cat and dog sometimes yeah no, no, anyway um it's yeah but the, again keegan that was the thing we'd you know he lived with us lived with me for a while and then and then and he didn't soil the furniture which is a good thing um, not and, that he knows about anyway. and, and he left that's the important thing is that they leave yeah they, yeah they they move on they leave um any nugget from you keegan um i think I was just trying, I was just racking my brains then. I think what I've learned over the, certainly over the last few years is I always used to think that the situation that I was in was like permanent. This is how life's going to be forever. And so I'd get really caught up in it and and it, it, I'd just really struggle with like anxiety and um, I got really down and obviously there was some pretty dark times as well. But I think the the thing that I've learned is... I would say is that things nothing's permanent, good or bad. Um and you just sometimes have to take a little bit of time. Take that said, everything changes. Everything changes. Mm. You just have to take a step back and give yourself a little bit of perspective. Mm. Um and whatever way you do that, whether it's because I'm very impatient, so I want everything to be right now. Yeah. Um so it's either whether it's raining that in or I started meditating at the beginning of the year, I think that that has helped a lot. Yeah. Gives you a little bit of space and we are. Nam your whore and I've never done that kind of when you can buy a new car uh, and that kind of thing. You know, you are not your thoughts, <laughs> and which again is a bit pithy, but it's, you know. So, yeah. Nothing's I, I, permanent. Yeah, nothing's permanent. It's Everything's good. transient. That's really important though because yeah. a lot of people when they are in the depths of absolute despair yeah. and good have God. suicidal yeah. thoughts, they think that that's yeah, yeah, is and permanent. Yeah, and I've thought that. Everything that, does you know, change. That's what I mean. I'm coming, I'm saying that from a person who's, mm. who's been there and thought that. And and I think when, when you realise that and you know it and you're in one of those shit times and you just go, just calm down. This is not how everything is going to be forever. It's very comforting. Um, and sometimes, and when sometimes when other people tell you that you don't believe them, but when you understand the concept yourself, yeah. then it's um, it, it's a lot more palatable. Yeah, that's what mm. we were saying. I've seen a lot of with the military stuff is people making a permanent, mm. doing a permanent thing for what would have been a temporary problem, and all you have to do is get hold of somebody. And mm. I, you know, I've seen that firsthand. I've I've luckily got hold of somebody. And stopped it happening. Mm. And then six months later, some that same person has said to me, "If you hadn't have got hold of me, I wouldn't be here." Mm. And it, and it that's mind blowing to me. To like, why would you? Why would you do a permanent thing for something that's not? It's not forever. This isn't forever. Mm. Um, so, so you're right. Yeah, yeah, sometimes people just don't think there's another way out. Yeah, it? because it's what you exactly what you're seeing. You're in the depths of despair, and you think this is it. Mm. It is never going to get any better. Should we end on a funny story on that theme? Let's do it. My friend had a very fancy meeting with somebody else who was very fancy. They work in a fancy world. And she and he and um, everybody around the he were all terrified of him, business. Mm. Terrified of him. 
my friend, the she, not terrified of anybody. And she, she did this spiel. They were, it was a business meeting, this spiel. And he sat back and he said, nothing lasts forever. And she looked at this man who everybody was terrified of and she said, apart from herpes, herpes lasts forever. <laughs> <laughs> the two assistants that were terrified of him looked like a bomb was about to go off because nobody had ever told a joke to this person. And uh, certainly not that worked for him. She said that, she, she said that they looked like a, like a bomb was about to go off. And he burst out laughing. And she said the two assistants were more shocked at the fact that he burst out laughing. It's like, so she, she broke the mould. And she probably taught them a little bit of a lesson, which is, you know what, if you treat them like a human being, mm. you might not behave like a monster. So yeah, mm. so there's a thought for you listeners. You when anybody that. says to you, <laughs> nothing is permanent, just remember... Apart from herpes. <laughs> Educational <laughs> end. Fantastic. A little bit of medicine at the end. This has been a BBC broadcast. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. Thanks very much for the... Pleasure. Uh, thank you for thank having you for us. Having, yeah, that for was having brilliant. Over and the really, chicken really salad cool. and vegan version for Chris and Dom. It was the vegan version was just without chicken. It was really tasty <laughs> yeah. though. We said it in the car. It was really, well, really I know well. you vegans are obsessed good with flavour. Yeah. yeah. They need it. They need so it. So we had to put a lot of flavour in it. Good shit. Good shit. It was really good. Thank you, guys. Great chat. Pleasure. Oh.